Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the peace of God as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn to Isaiah chapter 26? Now, Isaiah 26 goes right along with Isaiah 25 because it declares in that day. In what day? In the day that the things are transpiring that he wrote about in chapter 25. And what are the things that he was writing about in chapter 25? What are the days that he is writing about? Verse 8 And he will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all of the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, and he will be glad and rejoice We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So it is the day that Jesus establishes his kingdom upon the earth, that day for which we've been praying when we pray, thy kingdom come. So in that day when his kingdom is established, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for the walls and the bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. For thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Beautiful verses of Scripture. I love that promise. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. In the New Testament, Peter speaks about the peace that passes human understanding. The world cannot understand the peace that we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And the effect of righteousness, the Bible says, is peace. There is one characteristic or quality that we as Christians should possess, and that is the peace of God in our hearts and lives. Now, In order to have the peace of God, it is first of all necessary to have peace with God. And this is only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For the scripture said, for he hath made peace through his blood. He has made a basis for you to have peace with God by the shedding of his blood and thus the forgiveness of our sins. So that is first and basic, that you experience peace with God. No longer rebelling against the law of God, but now seeking to submit to God's law. No longer running from God, but yielding to God. 
and you then have peace with God as you surrender and receive Jesus Christ. But it is sad that there are many, many Christians who have peace with God. That's been established through Jesus Christ, but they have never entered into that experience of knowing the peace of God as it keeps their hearts, their minds, their lives steadfast in Christ. So it is important that you have more than just peace with God. It is important that you experience the peace of God. Now, this is a reference to the peace of God. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. How can I know that perfect peace of God within my heart? Living in a world that's so filled with chaos, turmoil, strivings. How can I know that peace? whose mind is stayed on thee. Now, you can't really experience the peace of God as you're getting, looking constantly at the things of the world. You have to look away from the trials. You have to look away from the madness of this world and looking to him. Keep your mind steadfast upon him. How many times the Lord has to bring my mind back to him. I start getting all upset. And I get so excited or in turmoil. Look what they're doing. They can't do that. I'm not, you know. The Lord says, hey, wait a minute, you know. Who's running this thing? Well, you are, Lord. Then what are you all excited about? I don't know. Just like to get excited, I guess. But you learn to turn it. You bring the thoughts into captivity unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. And God so often will stop you. You start getting all disturbed over an issue. And God will stop you and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm on the throne. I'm in control. And as your mind is turned then towards him, then the peace of Christ begins to fill your heart and fill your life. Oh, this is such a glorious experience, the peace of God, that perfect peace, that complete peace as my mind has stayed on him, I just know he's going to take care of it. (laughs) So many, many times, the Lord reminds me that this is his church. Problems will come up. I'll begin to wonder, well, what are we going to do about this? Well, maybe we ought to do this. Maybe we ought to do that. And the Lord will speak to me and say, whose church is it? I say, it's your church, Lord. He said, then just leave it alone. Let me run it. It's my church. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. All right. How easy can it be to pastor his church? If I was trying to pastor my church, I'd go absolutely wild. It would, it would be impossible. But it's his church. And as long as I remember that, I'm in good shape. When I forget it, then I really start in a tailspin until the Lord reminds me, whose church is it? And we need to remember that. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind. It's his ministry. It's his work. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in the Lord. And then the commandment, trust in the Lord. Forever, for the Lord Jehovah is our everlasting strength. For he brings down them that dwell on high. 
The lofty city, he layeth it low. He layeth it low even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. Thou most upright dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. For with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So he begins to speak of the judgments of God. Now he looked forward to the kingdom age, the glorious day of the Lord. In that day, the perfect peace that we will experience. But before that day of the Lord does come, there is coming a day of judgment, God's judgment upon the earth. And when God's judgments are upon the earth, he, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. God is going to bring down in judgment those that dwell on high. And so he declares, let favor be showed to the wicked. If you, and this isn't a request. It's actually just saying, if you show favor to the wicked, yet they will not learn righteousness. In other words, people, it seems, do not really grow so much in good times as they do in bad times. It seems that when people are blessed, when a nation is blessed, that they forget God. They no longer call upon the Lord. But when hard times begin to come, then people are turning to the Lord. It's so easy to trust in your material prosperity. It's so easy to, to look at a nation that is strong and prosperous and say, well, look at what free enterprise has done for the United States. And, and begin to attribute the blessings of God to certain attributes of our nation. Our nation is strong. Our nation is powerful. Our nation is great because God made it strong and powerful and great. Not because we have some superior system to the rest of the world. It isn't a, a victory of democracy over a dictatorship. And we make a mistake when we look to the characteristics of free enterprise or other things and say, well, that's why our nation is strong. Now, in the time of favor, in the time of blessing, the wicked really don't think about God. They don't turn to God. But it's in the time of adversity, when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So let favor be showed to the wicked. That doesn't mean, that isn't a prayer. Let favor be showed. Uh, like that verse of scripture, spare the rod and spoil the child. My son thought that was a commandment. <laughs> and when I started to use the rod, he said, but the scripture says spare the rod and spoil the child. <laughs> but that's a statement. 
If you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child. It isn't something that, it's not a commandment, something you're supposed to do. It's a statement of what will happen if you spare the rod. And so here, this is just a statement. If favor is showed to the wicked, he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. He'll fail to see the glory of God. He won't maintain righteousness. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for the envy of thy people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. O Lord, our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. Now, this is Israel speaking to the Lord concerning God's dealing with Israel. When God's judgments came in the land, he taught the people righteousness. In the time of their prosperity, they forgot God, they turned their backs on God, and they were devoured by their enemies. Now, they are saying, Lord, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. They had been ruled over by other nations. Other forces had come in. But by thee only will we make mention of thy name. For these nations that once ruled over us are dead. They shall not live. They've ceased. They shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. That is the nations that once lorded over Israel. Now, there are some people who use this particular verse to teach the annihilation of the wicked, that uh, God is going to ultimately just annihilate them all. There are other scriptures which would seem to indicate otherwise, especially those in the Gospels, the, the references that Jesus Christ made to Gehenna. Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. So in the time that God began to chasten them, they turned to God. They began to pray. And like as a woman who is in travail, drawing near the time of the delivery of a child, and she cries out of her pangs, so we have been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Now God responds to them and declares, Thy dead shall live. With my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for the dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. Now, this verse is difficult of understanding, and that is why the translators have added some words which are written in the italics. But those words that are in italics are words that the translators have added in order to try to bring some understanding to this particular scripture. As God is responding and saying, Thy dead, the 
translators have added men, shall live, and they've added together with, my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Now, when Jesus died upon the cross, he descended into hell. This is what the scriptures declare to us in Acts, the second chapter. For the promise of God was given to him, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. When they asked Jesus for a sign, he said, A wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Paul the Apostle tells us in Ephesians 4 that he who has ascended, Christ, is the same one who first of all descended into the lower parts of the earth, and when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. Now, prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, until the price was paid for man's sin, those righteous of the Old Testament period could not enter into heaven when they died but were kept waiting in the grave. The best description for this is given to us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, by Jesus Christ. As he told us of a certain rich man who fared sumptuously every day, and the poor man that was brought daily and laid at his gate full of sores, the dogs came and licked his source, and he survived off of the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the rich man died. The poor man died, he said, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Moreover, the rich man also died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being tormented, and seeing Abraham afar off. And Lazarus there, the man that he had recognized, the beggar that had been at his gate, being comforted by Abraham, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might take his finger and dip it in water and touch my tongue. I'm tormented in this heat. Abraham said, Son, remember you in your lifetime had good things, Lazarus evil. Now he is comforted while you are tormented. And besides this, there is a gulf that is fixed between us. And it is impossible for those that are here to come over there or those that are there to come over here. Now that's a pretty straight statement for any of you that are hoping for a second chance after you're dead. Jesus declared that it was an impossibility to cross that gulf once you were dead. And so he said, I pray you then, if he can't come to me, send him back that he might warn my brothers. I don't want them to come to this horrible place. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets, and if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if one should come back from the dead. So Jesus describes to us what hell was like, the grave, Sheol, Hades. Now, when Jesus died, he descended into Sheol, or Hades. And there he preached to those souls that were being held in prison. But here in Isaiah chapter 59, or chapter 61, 
A prophecy concerning Jesus Christ declares the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. Those that were bound in the grave, in the prison. He proclaimed liberty to them. So when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. You see, we are told that those men of faith in the Old Testament all died in faith, but they did not receive the promise of resurrection. God having reserved some better thing for us that they, apart from us, could not come into the completed state. So Abraham and all of those of the Old Testament, believing, died in faith. But yet, because their sins were not put away, they couldn't enter into the heavenly scene. It took the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to put away sin. continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 26 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you. And may the Lord watch over you and keep you in his love, in his grace. May the Lord cause you to abound in every good work for Jesus Christ. And may the Lord grant to you new dimensions of relationship with him, that you might become more keenly aware of his presence with you and his power to help you. May God bless you. May you have just a fruitful, blessed week walking with Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Sometimes it's difficult to celebrate the holidays like Christmas or New Year's Eve because of a recent death in the family or a sudden tragedy that's happened. And it's in times like this that we want to be used by God to bring encouragement, hope, and most of all, love to our family and friends who are going through a hardship. That's why I'd like to tell you about a book by Chuck Smith called When the Storm Hits. 
I'm amazed when I read this book that it's able to encourage and strengthen a person and persuade them to look to Jesus and not at their problem. It encourages us to be patient, not to lose hope, and when the storm hits, to get anchored on Jesus, the rock, and don't let go. To order a copy of Chuck Smith's book, When the Storm Hits, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or you can visit us online to read a preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.